Welcome back to Talks on a Catechism at a Catholic Church. I am your instructor, David O. Gray, Master of Arts in Theology, and we begin. In nomine Pacis et Filio, et Spiritus Sancti. In this talk, I will be highlighting Part 2, Section 2, The Seven Sacraments of the Church, Article 4, The Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation. Starting in paragraph 1422 and going all the way to paragraph 1498. In this talk, I will connect the sacrament of penance and reconciliation with the themes we have been repeating, such as how penance and reconciliation relates to our capacity for God, how it relates to the economy of salvation, and how the sacrament of penance and reconciliation resolves the primordial questions. I will also address how the sacrament of penance and reconciliation is a fulfillment of the old covenant rite of Kafar. We should begin this lesson in the proper context of what we are talking about, which is sin and the remedy of sin for a contrite heart is the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. Here's what sin does. Sin always damages these three things. First, our friendship with God. Second, our unity with neighbor. And three, our services to the church or the ecclesial communion. Likewise, sin um, therefore reduces or ruptures our capacity and our strength to love God, neighbor, and self as we ought. In terms of capacity, sin reduces our capacity to love as we ought. In other words, because we have sinned, we lack the capacity and strength in our mind, body, and soul to love those whom God has called us to love. That is, God, our neighbor, and self. Because we have sinned, we cannot, we cannot truly be. The remedy for this desperate condition, which can get worse if we do not immediately address it, is conversion. More on the consequence of sin, the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches in paragraph 1472 to understand this doctrine and practice of the church. It is necessary to understand that sin has a double consequence. Grave sin deprives us of communion with God and therefore makes us incapable of eternal life. The privation of which is called the eternal punishment of sin. On the other hand, every sin, even venial, entails an unhealthy attachment to creatures, which must be purified either here on earth or after death in a state called purgatory. This purification frees one from what is called the temporal punishment of sin. These two punishments must not be conceived as a kind of vengeance inflicted by God from without, but as following from the very nature of sin. A conversion which proceeds from a fervent charity can attain the complete purification of the sinner in such a way that no punishment 
would remain. Recall again now that in a context of the Nicaeo-Constantinople Creed, when we are talking about the sacraments of the church, we are still in that third part of the creed, which concerns the life of the Holy Spirit and his joint mission with Christ Jesus. In fact, as uniquely as we saw with the Holy Spirit descending upon Christ at his baptism in the Jordan, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit being connected with the sacrament of confirmation in the book of Acts, now in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, we recognize and witness how the joint mission of Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit are accomplished through our participation in their joint mission. The text reads, On the evening of that first day of the week when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. In paragraph 1441 and 1442, the Catechism of Catholic Church expounds upon this mystery of reconciliation given to the apostles, writing, Only God forgives sins, since he is the Son of God. Jesus says of himself, The Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins and exercises this divine power. Your sins are forgiven. Further, by virtue of his divine authority, he gives this power to men to exercise in his name. Christ has willed that in her prayer and life and action, his whole church should be a sign and instrument of the forgiveness and reconciliation that he acquired for us at the price of his blood. But he entrusted the exercise of the power of absolution to the apostolic ministry, which he charged with the ministry of reconciliation. The apostles sent out, on behalf of Christ, which God making his appeal through him and pleading, be reconciled to God. This work of reconciliation is both a work of the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. But the work of grace through them is unique. First, the sacrament of baptism forgives us of our sins prior to being baptized, while the sacrament of penance and reconciliation forgives of our sins committed after the conferral of baptism. Second, the grace of baptism is that it's ontological, meaning that it changes our nature. It regenerates us into a born-again, born-anew person who has been washed, 
sanctified and configured, truly configuring us in Christ Jesus and thereby incorporates us into the life of Christ and his joint mission with the Holy Spirit. So the sacrament of principle reconciliation, it does not confer a rebirth or a change in nature, but in a different way, it does persist in participating in the same work of mercy for our good. Just as wounds incurred from battle affects each soldier differently, our wound from sin, although healed by the sacrament of baptism, may still cause our nature to be frail and weak and not always able to resist those struggles and temptations to sin that we may face in this pilgrimage. There is an incredible tension in this pilgrimage in knowing that we have been called to holiness and to communion with the Holy Trinity, but also having to struggle to grow in holiness and to remain in communion with the Holy Trinity. The mercy from God here is that he never promises that this life will not be a struggle. He simultaneously tells us to take his yoke upon us and that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yet, he also tells us to take up our cross and follow him, meaning that there will be sacrifice and suffering and martyrdom in this life. How can all these things be true at the same time? The answer to this question is found in another question. Here it is. Why do I have to struggle to be holy? Why do I at times seem like I have to fight and cry and pray just to repeat the same sins again? Can't there be an easier way to holiness? Here the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1426 teaches that there is a relationship between struggle and conversion. Conversion comes by the way of struggle, struggling to be holy. Conversion does not come by the way of giving in to not being holy. Two other things are also true. That our life on earth is just a mere state of being, but it can also be a struggle in figuring out how to be. That again is the primordial question. Christ and his church resolves that question by calling us to our first conversion, which is baptism in which we openly confess in word and deed that the state of being that I choose for myself is insufficient to who God has created me to be. That is the first conversion, desiring what God wants for me more than I want for myself. And the church teaches in paragraph 1427 that baptism is the principal place for that first and fundamental conversion. And then there is the second conversion, which is going to be an ongoing process for the rest of our lives. Now, now that the sacrament of the sacraments of initiation have 
equipped and empowered us to be holy and to be in communion with the Holy Trinity, we begin the process of struggling for daily conversion. This struggle the church in paragraph 1428 calls a movement of a contrite heart, drawn and moved by grace to respond to the mercy and love of God, who loved us first. And then in the next paragraph, the church encourages us in letting us know that the struggles we face are, we're not the first people who had those struggles. Writing, Peter's conversion after he denied his master three times bears witness to this. Jesus' look of infinite mercy drew tears of repentance from Peter and after the Lord's resurrection, a threefold affirmation of love for him and that St. Ambrose says of the two conversions that in the church, there are water and tears, the water of baptism and the tears of repentance. It's in this ongoing and repeated second conversion where we receive the grace to know that our heart is heavy and burdened with grave sin. And the knowledge that we reject our state of being in sin and we repent of our sins, of our offending God who is all good and holy and truly worthy of all the love and where we truly desire to turn away from evil and its stench and damage and false promises and to be who we were called to be and to be reconciled with God and to return to communion with him. In this, Christ Jesus has given us the grace through his church to receive the sacrament of forgiveness and to be reconciled with him, with the ecclesial communion and to have our capacity to love restored. Here, the Catechism of Catholic Church teaches in paragraph 1468, the whole power of the sacrament of penance Consist in restoring us to God's grace and joining us with him in an intimate friendship. Reconciliation with God is thus the purpose and effect of this sacrament. For those who receive the sacrament of penance with contrite heart and religious disposition, reconciliation is usually followed by peace and serenity of conscience with strong spiritual consolation. Indeed, the sacrament of reconciliation with God brings about a true spiritual resurrection, restoration of dignity and blessings of the life of the children of God, of which the most precious is friendship with God. In placing ourselves at the mercy of God, a good confession in the presence of a valley ordained Catholic priest operating with faculties for a confession has three parts. 
The first of which is contrition. The penitent must be contrite for their sins, having a sorrowful soul and destation for the sin committed, together with the resolution not to sin again. Here, there are also two types of contrition. There's perfect and there's imperfect. When we are disposed to perfect contrition, we truly do have a deep sorrow for our sins, a deep and true sorrow, of which the impetus of which arises from a love by which God is loved above all else. That is, I am truly sorrowful for my sins because I love God above all else. Then there is imperfect contrition, which is still a gift from God and a prompting of the Holy Spirit. But it says, I am sorrowful for my sins because I fear the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. It is a contrition which does not have it as its first principle, the love of God. It is more so concerned with the consequences of not loving God as we ought. While both forms of contrition disposes one to, to obtain forgiveness through the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, only perfect contrition disposes one of forgiveness of grave sins. So, perfect contrition is our goal in the spiritual life to deeply form in our conscience a love of God above all else so that we reject sin, not because it is an offense against our self-interest, but rather because it is an offense against the love of God. The second part of a good confession is a disclosure of sins. This is where the penitent makes an open and clear admission of what he is guilty of, what has broken his communion with God and why he is responsible for those sins. Here, the church teaches in paragraph 1456, all mortal sins of which penitents, after a diligent self-examination are conscious of, must be recounted by them in confession, even if they are most secret and have been committed against the last two precepts of the Decalogue. For these sins sometimes wound the soul more grievously and more dangerous than those which are committed openly. While grave sin is the principal matter for the remedy afforded by the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, leaving venial sins for the priest to absolve non-sacramentally during the liturgy of the Catholic Mass, the Church does recommend regular confession of venial sins, those that are non-grave or outside of the Ten Commandments, because Confessing venial sins does help us form our conscience. It helps us fight against evil tendencies, and it helps us open ourselves up to progress in the Holy Spirit. The third part of making a good confession is satisfaction. That is, we must repair or make amends for the damage that our sins have caused. Here, the confessor will sign a penitent in a penance which meets the gravity and the nature of the sins committed. 
Paragraph 1460 states this about the penance for sin, writing, It can consist of prayer and offering, works of mercy, service of neighbor, voluntary self-denial, sacrifices, and above all, the patient acceptance of the cross we must bear. Such penance help configure us to Christ, who alone expiated our sins once and for all. They allow us to become co-heirs with the risen Christ, provided we suffer with him. In paragraph 1447, the church acknowledges that the celebration of the sacrament has looked differently throughout the history of the church. During the first centuries, the reconciliation of Christians who had committed particular grave sins after their baptism, for example, idolatry, murder, adultery, was tied to a very rigorous discipline, according to which penitents had to do public penance for their sins, oftentimes for years before receiving reconciliation. To this order of penitence, which concerned only certain grave sins, one was only rarely admitted and, in certain regions, only once during a lifetime. During the 7th century, Irish missionaries, inspired by the Eastern monastic tradition, took to continental Europe the private practice of penance, which does not require public and prolonged completion of penitential works before reconciliation with the church. From that time on, the sacrament has been performed in secret between penitent and priest. This new practice envisioned the possibility of repetition and so opened a way to regular frequency of this sacrament. It allowed for the forgiveness of grave sins and venial sins to be integrated into one sacramental celebration. In its main lines, this is the form of penance that the church has practiced down to our day. So although there has been a development in the discipline of the sacrament here, the three parts of a good confession, that is, contrition, confession, and satisfaction have remained. In the economy of salvation, the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, working with the sacrament of baptism, it works to keep those who have been baptized in the service of God, being able to perform their service in full capacity. There is nothing that harms the kingdom of God more than citizens of that kingdom not being holy. The divine mathematical formula is simple. The more holy people there are in the world, the less sin there is. And the less sin there is, the better the world is. In this way, the sacrament of penance of reconciliation works wonderfully within the economy of salvation to create more saints for the good of all creation. 
Another scriptural way that we might think of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation is through the word atonement, which is derived from the phrase at one. To be at one with someone is to be in a harmonious relationship with that person or a friendship with God as the catechism teaches. Therefore, atonement is the process through which harmony is restored to that which was previously, let's say, kaphonic rather than symphonic. The Hebrew word for atonement, as used in the Old Testament, is kafar, meaning remedy. It is clear from the use of this word, as it is attached to the Old Covenant sacrificial system, that kafar is both a final and ongoing process. For example, there were the daily sin offerings through which priests and the people made kafar for their sins, as well as the official day of Kafar, the official day of atonement through which God gave forgiveness for the entire community for their sins. The Old Covenant sacrificial system was perpetually necessary. It was perpetuated by necessity or because sin was perpetual by a fallen nature and because it is ongoing reality, it took on the feature of being a medicinal, uh, healing, uh, chronic care treatment process, just as in a case it is today in the New Covenant Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation. In the Old Covenant Rites of Kafar, we see the three essential elements of the Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation. Here, there's still contrition, confession, and satisfaction. And that the most vital feature of the Old Covenant Rites of Kafar was the act of confession in the presence of a priest, either in private or in public. The penitent had to make his or her sins known to the priest, who then, in his role as mediator, would confess the sins as known by him of the person or people to Yahweh before the sacrifice was offered up. In all cases of sin offerings, either the priest or the lay penitent was required to lay their hands upon the head of a goat after they had confessed their sins. In this way, the goat literally took on or satisfied their sins through the imposition of laying hands. Through the shedding of the ghost's blood, the individual or community was then made clean and restored to God again. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, is himself the fulfillment of the old covenant rites of Kephar. The death of Christ on the cross and our participation in his sacrifices through our baptism answers the question how is it that we are cleansed of humanity's original sin and our personal sin committed before we were baptized 
It also answered the question if the Old Covenant circumcision and animal sacrifices only brought the Jews into community, waiting to be redeemed, how is it that we, in the New Covenant, become full citizens of the community of God being redeemed in the kingdom of God? In paragraphs 1464 to 1467, the church says four important things about the minister of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. First, priests must encourage the faithful to come to the sacrament of penance and reconciliation and make themselves available to celebrate the sacrament each time Christians reasonably ask for it. Second, when he celebrates the sacrament of penance, the priest is fulfilling the ministry of the good shepherd who seeks the lost sheep, of the good Samaritan who binds up wounds, of the father who awaits the prodigal son and welcomes him on his return, and of the just and impartial judge whose judgment is both just and merciful. The priest is the sign and the instrument of God's mercy for love for the sinner. Third, that a confessor is not the master of God's forgiveness, but its servant. The minister of the sacrament should unite himself to the intention and charity of Christ. And fourth, Given the delicacy and greatness of this ministry and the respect due to persons, the church declares that every priest who hears confessions is bound under very severe penalties to keep absolute secrecy regarding the sins that his penitents have confessed to him. Depending upon who your parents were, you may recall that it was easier to tell your faults to one parent more than it was the other. For me, as my mother. But I always knew that she told my father what I did and that he would step in if he thought that the discipline she opposed upon me wasn't enough. In a way, my mother was like the servant of my father when it came to hearing my faults and administering discipline. So priest as a servant of God's forgiveness always made a lot of sense to me and I hope this teaching has encouraged you to avail yourself to the sacrament more often not just for grave sins but also venial because we need you to be at full capacity in our next encounter I look forward to sharing with you the Catholic Church's teaching on the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Thank you for listening.